you take your Bibles, you can turn along with me to the book of Ruth. Some of you say, Ruth, that sounds familiar. We were in Ruth. It's been a while. So it was November since we were in Ruth. So I know you've slept since then. So, so have I. So I'm going to recap for us a lot of the story this morning. But then we're going to look at Ruth chapter 4. And a couple more messages in Ruth, and then we'll wrap that up. Lord willing, be uh, turning our attention very soon to the book of Colossians and the person of Jesus Christ. Ruth chapter 4. Throughout the book of Ruth, the central character is God. That's true for every book of the Bible. God is the main character of his book. He uses lots of people and circumstances and times and history, but he is the mover behind the scenes. And that is certainly the case in the book of Ruth. God is the one behind the scenes. He is the God behind the scene. Behind what we can see, he is ordaining and arranging and leading and guiding. So let me just remind you of where we've been in the study of Ruth. Two people, Jews from Bethlehem, a husband and a wife named Elimelech and his wife Naomi are living in Bethlehem during the time of the judges. Now, Bethlehem will prove to be an important fact in the larger story of what God is doing here in the lineage of the future King David and, of course, the future Messiah, Jesus. Famine strikes Judah and Bethlehem, and so Elimelech and Naomi... And their two sons move to nearby Moab where there is food. The famine was highly localized, and so by uh, crossing the border into Moab, they were able to find food. Now, while, Moab, while in Moab, Elimelech dies. Naomi and her two sons are there alone in this foreign land, In the midst of a famine in their homeland, Naomi's two sons, during that time in Moab, eventually take wives for themselves among the Moabite people. They marry Moabite wives. These two Jewish boys marry non-Jews. And the names of their wives are Orpah and Ruth. Well, tragedy strikes Naomi again when Naomi's two sons die. This leaves Naomi not only a widow in a foreign land, but now without her sons and with two Moabite daughters-in-law who are also now themselves widows. So this group of three widows exposed in Moab. The famine in Judah eventually ends 
And Naomi decides to return to her homeland empty-handed after 10 years in Moab. And Naomi pleads with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to stay behind, uh, to go back to their households, their families, their moms and dads there in Moab, where their future would be far more secure than it would be if they followed Naomi back to Israel, these two non-Jews going back to Israel, they wouldn't have a future there. No one would marry them. But if they stayed in Moab, surely someone would marry them and they would still have hope for the future. And so she pleads with them to stay behind. Orpah and Ruth protest. They want to stay with their beloved mother-in-law. But with further pleading from Naomi, Orpah reluctantly decides to return to her parents and stay in Moab. Ruth, however, is determined to stay with Naomi and return with her to Bethlehem. Ruth even goes so far as to say, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she knows that her best future is not lived in a pagan land of Moab, but at Naomi's side in the promised land. Well, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. And the women of the town can't believe their eyes. It's been a decade since they've seen Naomi. And she doesn't look like the same woman. She's been through a lot. A lot has happened in her life. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's gained two daughters-in-law who happen to be Gentiles. And here she is returning with one of them. The women say, oh my goodness, is that you, Naomi? And Naomi responds in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 20. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara or bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Clearly, Naomi is in the throes of grief. And she is struggling to process how this could all have happened. I think we can all relate to Naomi at different points in our lives. Well, Naomi and Ruth happened to return to Bethlehem during the time of the barley harvest. And as we will see, the timing of their return at the beginning of the barley harvest was not by coincidence. God is the one behind the scenes, directing and leading and prompting and all at just the right time. That brings us into chapter 2 of Ruth. Chapter 2 begins with some foreshadowing. In verse 1, we're told that there was a close relative to Naomi. He was a valiant man, a man of wealth and reputation. Maybe he will be part of the solution here. Maybe he will prove to be of some help to these two women who are very vulnerable and in need of assistance. Well, Ruth asked Naomi 
If she can go and glean in the fields behind the reapers, picking up the leftovers of the harvest, which was a provision made in the Old Testament law for those who were in need. And in this way, she could perhaps provide for not only her own needs, but also the needs of Naomi for food. So Naomi approves, and so Ruth goes to the fields to glean. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 3. So Ruth departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Boaz is this near kinsman who was a valiant man, a man of means, a man of integrity. She happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says that Boaz just happened to be coming to his field at just the time that Ruth was gleaning in his field. And he just happens to take notice of her among all the other workers and gleaners in the field. And Boaz, taking note of her and inquiring about her, is moved by Ruth's story how she has left her own homeland, left her own family in order to stay at Naomi's side. She, a Gentile, has come into the land of the Jews knowing that her future was bleak, knowing what that meant. He's moved by this story of her honor, of her loyalty to Naomi. And he decides to give her special privileges and protections while she gleans in the fields that are his. Well, Ruth goes home that day and tells Naomi all about what has happened and about Boaz and about his kindness. Naomi informs Ruth that Boaz is actually a relative, indeed a close relative, a a potential kinsman redeemer, a, a goel in Hebrew. And so Naomi hatches a plan She instructs Ruth to get cleaned up, to go down to the threshing floor where they would process the harvest, and to go down there that very night, for Boaz will be spending the night there along with his other workers. And Ruth was to take note of where Boaz would lie down for the night and go to sleep. And then after some time, Ruth was to go and lie down at Boaz is now uncovered feet, and Boaz would see that Ruth is making herself available for marriage, and he would take it from there. So Ruth does just as Naomi says. She carries out Naomi's plan, and she lies down at Boaz's feet there at the threshing floor. Now sometime during the night, Boaz stirs, he sat up, turned in his covers, only to notice that there's some woman laying at his feet, who wasn't there when he went to bed. Who are you? He says. Now at this point, the plan diverges from what Naomi thought would happen. And Ruth is on her own. Naomi simply said, do this and this, and then Boaz will take it from there. Ruth didn't think she'd have a speaking part. Well, 
Unable to identify this strange visitor in the darkness, Boaz asks, who are you? But I want you to see Ruth's answer in chapter 2 and verse 9. Actually, 3 and verse 9. He said, who are you? And he answered, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Spread your covering over your maid. The word for covering there can also be translated as wing. Spread your wing over your maid. It's actually the same word Boaz had used in his prayer over Ruth back in chapter 2 and verse 12. Look back there with me quickly. Chapter 2 and verse 12. Boaz taking note of Ruth, having heard her, the story of how she has left everything to follow Naomi and to worship the one true God. He prays over Ruth in chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. That was Boaz's prayer. Now, when Ruth is called on to speak by Boaz and explain who she is. Ruth uses the same words of Boaz's own prayer as she proposes marriage to him. Spread your wing over me. She is, in effect, proposing marriage and asking Boaz to perform his duty as a kinsman redeemer, to take her under his wing of protection and care for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Well, Boaz, having taken note of Ruth, promises to fulfill his obligation to Ruth in being her kinsman redeemer, chapter 3 and verse 11. But there's a catch. There's a closer relative than he. And this closer relative must be given the first right of opportunity to redeem Ruth. But, Boaz assures her, if he does not accept then Boaz will certainly fulfill his responsibility. Boaz, that same night, protects Ruth's personal safety by having her stay the night in the threshing floor, not sending her away at night. He then protects her reputation by sharing with his servants that no one was to know about her visit that evening. And then in the wee hours of the morning before sending Ruth home, Boaz pours 60 pounds of barley into Ruth's cloak for her to take home to her mother-in-law. Boaz is already taking care of Ruth as a pledge that he will step forward if he's able. Well, Ruth returns to Naomi, tells her all that has taken place. And Naomi responds to this news In chapter 3, in verse 18, look there with me. Chapter 3, verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. All right, that's where we've been. We're picking it up from there. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read it for us. Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Boaz went up to the gate. And sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and 
sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Melon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Melon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name... Of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court or of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve the wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life, a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for giving us this story, this historical account of your faithfulness, your providence working behind the scenes in our lives in ways that we can't predict. We don't know the whole story. We never know the fullness of what you're doing in any event or moment. Teach us, Lord, humility when it comes to your ways and your purposes. Let us not be quick to question you. 
And certainly not to curse you in the midst of our grief and lament. Lord, help us to trust you and believe that your purposes are good and that you're always doing that which will bless us and help us and equip us. Thank you for being such a good and gracious God who's always providing and providing not only for our physical needs but our deepest spiritual needs as well. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we walk through these verses, or the better part of them, I want us to see this morning two important lessons we can learn about God's provision from the story of the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. Two important lessons we can learn about God's provision from the story of Ruth and Boaz. First lesson we can learn today is that God sovereignly provides for our needs. God is sovereignly at work providing for our needs all the time. He gives to his beloved even in their sleep. As chapter 3 ends, Boaz is determined to settle this matter of the kinsman redeemer on Ruth's behalf. Now, let me remind you of what a kinsman redeemer is. The role of kinsman redeemer, or the goel in Hebrew, refers to the relationship of family members and the resulting obligation that they have to care for and protect and provide for their extended family. It is described first in Leviticus 25, acting as a kinsman redeemer might involve buying back the land of a family member who was forced to sell it, or of redeeming a family member from slavery when they were forced to sell themselves into slavery. In Deuteronomy 25, it is used of a brother marrying his brother's widow in order to provide for the widow's needs and to produce offspring and continue the deceased brother's line. This function of the kinsman redeemer is called leveret marriage from the Latin levier, meaning husband's brother. The husband's brother or other close relative had a responsibility to marry his deceased brother's wife in order to preserve that family line and family property. This is what Boaz is seeking to secure on Ruth's behalf, either through himself or through this closer relative. Now we know Boaz wants it to be him. Based on the way he has treated Ruth, on the way he has responded to her and her request for him to put his wing over her, his wing of protection, his wing of care. But he knows that before he can respond, the circumstance dictates that he needs to offer it to the one it, to whom it truly belongs first. So we're told that Boaz goes up to the gate. Verse 1 of chapter 4. He went up to the gate in Bethlehem and sat down there. He went up because Bethlehem, like Jerusalem, is located on a hill. So you're always going up to Jerusalem and you're always going up to Bethlehem. The city gate 
was the place of meeting. It was what what we might think of as the town center. The place where people gathered to buy and sell, to, to socialize, to people watch. It also served as a place where legal matters were often settled. And the elders of the city, the leaders, would sit in the gate and decide and judge matters between individuals and disputes. And this is where Boaz has come on this occasion. He is focused on his purpose, and that is to secure Ruth's, and by extension Naomi's, protection and provision. So there's Boaz sitting at the gate, eager to get on with his purpose. And notice the text says, and behold, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz was seeking was passing by. Now we might be tempted to think, well, this is a happy coincidence. You're just the guy I've been looking for. But what is clear from the book of Ruth and from the rest of the Bible is that nothing happens by mere coincidence. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens luckily. No, God is the one behind the scenes orchestrating and ordering all that comes to pass. In fact, this behold reminds me of a previous behold in Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. Verse 3 and 4, so Ruth says to Naomi, can I go and glean in the field? Naomi says, sure, go ahead. So Ruth departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, just at the right time, in the nick of time. God is always on time, right? God is always on time in his provision. So it just so happened that when Ruth went out to glean in the fields that she happened to be gleaning in Boaz's field, and it just so happened that at that very time, Boaz arrives at his field from Bethlehem, And it just so happened that Boaz took notice of Ruth in that field, even though he didn't know who she was, even though she was just another poor, desperate woman gleaning in the field of a wealthy landowner. No, none of this happened by coincidence. Rest assured, there are not happy accidents in God's economy, there are no coincidences. God orders our steps and guides our feet. What a comfort it is to know that we're not at the mercy of the winds of fate or of circumstances, but rather that God, who himself has pledged his love for us, is always working all things for our good. So Boaz is sitting at the gate. And sees this nearer kinsman walking by. So Boaz gets his attention, turns to him and says, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. Why don't you sit down? I'd like to talk to you about something. Now, more literally, it says, 
turn aside, so-and-so. Sit down here. So-and-so. The narrator of our story has chosen not to include this nearer kinsman's name. He's just known as Mr. So-and-so. Hey, buddy. Hey, Mac. Mr. Hey, you. Mr. Hey, you with the face. Mr. What's-his-guts. Now, certainly in a small village like Bethlehem, Boaz would have known his name. After all, he's, he's a relative, a close relative. Maybe he's a cousin. We don't know. But his name is forever lost to us. Why? Well, I think it's a move of poetic justice. That this man who chose not to redeem Ruth in order to preserve his name and his inheritance and his posterity, in fact, has his name completely forgotten from the record. So that he is reduced to Mr. So-and-so. So, Mr. So-and-so sits down at the gate along with Boaz, at Boaz's request. Boaz then requests Ten elders to come and join them and be seated at the gate along with them. And they said, sure, Mr. Boaz, we'd be glad to. Indicating that Boaz, again, is a man with integrity, a man of reputation, a man of honor in this city. Clearly what Boaz is doing here is he's convening a meeting. He's putting together all the necessary people and witnesses to conduct a proper legal proceeding according to the customs of the day. Now look with me in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And Mr. So-and-so said, I will redeem it. Now, Boaz is here doing precisely what he told Ruth he was going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to see this matter to its finish. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do the right thing. Now, we might be tempted to think, oh, Boaz, what are you doing? There's so much that could go wrong here. You love Ruth. Ruth loves you. Why are you doing this? What if this nearer kinsman says yes to redeeming Ruth? We already know he said yes to redeeming the land. Why not just go ahead and marry Ruth without making this public thing, you know, of calling these elders together? Marry her. And then if anyone objects because there's a nearer kinsman, well, you could plead ignorance. After all, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to seek permission, right? But this is not who Boaz is. Boaz is a man of integrity. He's gone to great lengths to care for and protect Ruth. 
He's done so in a completely honorable way in accord with what is right. And even if it means that he might lose Ruth, and that possibility existed, he's committed to doing the right thing in the right way. What a great example Boaz is to us of what personal integrity looks like. So Boaz, in front of the city elders, presents the situation. Naomi, the widow, needs to sell a piece of land that belongs to her deceased husband, Elimelech. This will allow her to have some money to live on. Will you redeem the land so that it stays in the family? And if you don't, I will. Well, Mr. So-and-so sees this for what it is, a great opportunity to increase his bottom line, to increase his land holdings, and also his esteem in the community by stepping up and playing the part of the kinsman redeemer. So Mr. What's-His-Gut says, count me in. And so here we think, oh no. (laughs) I told you, Boaz, it's going horribly wrong. This is what you get for doing the right thing, Boaz. No good deed goes unpunished. But this is not the end of the story. Look with me at verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. In verse 5, Boaz says, Wait, not so fast. But wait, there's more. It's actually a package deal, Mr. So-and-so. And with this news, Mr. So-and-so backs out. He says, oh, oh, I I didn't read the fine print there. I I didn't realize I would be taking a wife in addition to the land. And a mother-in-law. And not just a wife, but a Gentile wife. This is not going to help my bottom line. This is not going to help my respect within the community. I'm going to be married to a Gentile. Yeah, no thanks. I'm out. He was not interested in marrying a penniless widow from the accursed nation of Moab. Or of gaining a mother-in-law, another mouth to feed. So this nearer kinsman backs out of the deal. As verse 6 makes clear, he is afraid that the transaction is actually going to endanger his own estate. Not only would he have to purchase the land, he would also have to support Naomi and Ruth, a despised Moabitess, and any children that they had together. These children that he might have with Ruth then would be considered Ruth's deceased husband's children, Malons. And so the land that was purchased would eventually go back into the hands of Ruth's future sons and not his own. He may even have to split his own pre-existing property with Ruth's offspring, thus reducing his own children's inheritance. So when he learns about Ruth, the complicating factor, he says, no, I don't want any part of that. So the nearer kinsman transfers his right to redeem to Boaz 
through an ancient custom of taking off his sandal and giving it to Boaz. Like a handshake or like signing a contract, he removes his sandal, his Birkenstock or his Chaco, whatever it was, and he hands it to Boaz, graphically symbolizing the legal release and transfer of his rights as a kinsman redeemer over to Boaz. When someone hands their shoe to someone else, that's a memorable experience. And so it becomes fixed and locked in the mind. No, I was there. I saw you. Take your sandal off and hand it to Boaz. We all saw it. Now look with me at verses 9 through 11. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I've acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. Boy, they spoke better than they knew. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. And again, they spoke better than they knew. Boaz stipulates publicly and in detail his intention to redeem Ruth and that all that is associated with Naomi and her deceased descendants. And he calls upon the elders to serve as witnesses that day. And the elders replied, we are witnesses. And then share this prayer of blessing over Boaz and his future wife, which the Lord answered in spades. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Now, there's not a happier ending than that, is there? Boaz and Ruth are married. God allows Ruth, the childless Ruth, to now become pregnant. And this little boy is born, Obed. Obed, who would grow up to be the great-grandfather of the great King David. King of Israel. From whom the Messiah would one day descend, Jesus Christ. Ruth and Naomi have gone from the bitter reality of loss and grief and hunger to blessing and joy. God has sovereignly provided for their needs in ways they could never imagine. It's a great reminder to us that the same God who was working behind the scenes in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's lives is also the same God who is at work behind the scenes in our own life. We can't understand or see or predict all that God is doing, 
by the ups and downs and the sorrows and joys that happen in our life. But we can know for certain that God is the one behind the scene. Orchestrating, ordering the details of our lives for His good and perfect purposes. Ruth and Boaz are vivid illustrations of the truth of what Jesus said. Do not worry, in Matthew 6, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Naomi and Ruth and Boaz did that. They sought the Lord first. And the Lord was faithful to add exactly what they needed at exactly the right time. Now let me be clear. In this fallen world, we are going to experience hard times. Naomi and Ruth experienced hard times, did they not? Times of loss, times of danger, times of want, times of grief, times of sorrow, and even times of hunger and desperation. This is what Naomi and Ruth experienced. But it's also true that at those very moments, God was still at work. Guiding and leading and moving Naomi and Ruth to fulfill his plans for them. His plans for King David. His plans for a Messiah. These plans were much bigger than Naomi or Ruth or Boaz could have ever conceived. God was providing for them all along the way. And so may the Lord grow our faith and may we look to Him in trust to provide for all our needs as we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and trust Him that He'll provide the rest. Look to the Lord first. All right, secondly, and this one's going to go fast. God graciously provides a redeemer to rescue us. The story of Boaz and Ruth is a beautiful illustration of God's redemption of sinners. Ruth was penniless, a widow on her own, a hated foreigner. She was an alien with nothing but a broken past and a very bleak future. This is just like us before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Spiritually speaking. Ephesians 2 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all were formerly living in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. That's our background. That's our pedigree spiritually. As Ruth illustrates our situation outside of Christ, so Boaz illustrates the work of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. You see, for Boaz to redeem Ruth, he had to be a a close relative. And for us to be redeemed from sin and death and hell and the curse, 
The Son of God had to become like one of us, a kinsman. And that's just what the eternal Son of God did. John 1.14, the Word, the eternal Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 2.14, therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise also partook the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had power of death. That is the devil. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us. He's our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took our place. Bore our guilt. Received in himself the just penalties of God against sin. Jesus, the bridegroom, our kinsman redeemer, has redeemed his bride, the church, from sin and death and hell. and Given us eternal life and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has totally reversed our situation, has he not? Jesus, in a far greater way than Boaz, has taken the initiative, done all that was necessary in order to rescue us from poverty and hopelessness and death and given us a future and a hope and a heavenly home. An inheritance reserved in heaven for you. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. He had to be like us. He had to come and take our place and bear in his body The guilt that our sins had amassed. He willingly did it for you and for me. Praise the name of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful to you for your gracious provision in our lives of all that we need. You're never late. You're always on time. You have purposes and plans that are far beyond our ability to understand and comprehend. You're doing things all the time that are beyond our sight. But you have revealed to us that whatever it is you do, it is good. And it is fulfilling purposes in us and for us that will redound to your glory. So help us to trust you. Help us also to reflect upon and rejoice in the truth that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He has come and has reversed our bitterness and replaced it with joy. He has taken us from being empty and broken and he has restored us and filled our hands with blessings overflowing. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.